Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Illuminations 25. Rivers of the Pharaohs. Excursions to the land that time forgot. Hello? Moreno, the code word for the next shipment is... What? You are not Mickey Mouse, you are a rat. Rat, Schmat. Besides, they're tourists. What do they know? Will you get out of here? Okay, but do I still get my ten bucks? You are entering another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and of sound, a dimension of mind, a dimension of form and substance. You are about to discover what lies beyond the fifth dimension. Months ago, a podcaster named Lou Mangello embarked on a new project, the WDW Radio Show. This, as you may recognize, is one of those episodes. Only this episode of the WDW Radio Show is somewhat unique and calls for a different kind of introduction. This podcast is opening again, and this time it's opening for you. Step aboard if you dare and discover what lies beyond the fifth dimension. Beyond the WDW Radio Show Podcast in the Twilight Zone. WDW Radio, your information station. Welcome back and thanks for tuning in once again. This is show number 13 for May 6th. 2007 of the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I'm your host, Lou Mangiello, and on this week's show, we'll talk about some sweeping changes coming from the Walt Disney World Resort Hotels, updates on dining locations around Epcot, a new celebration being offered to young girls, and updates on the Year of a Million Dreams in our Walt Disney World news segment. In the Walt Disney World Rumor Mill, we talk about a new themed dining location rumored to be coming to the Magic Kingdom and take a quick look back at the surprising venue it may replace, as well as a few other rumored things going on resort-wide. I also discuss concierge-level accommodations at the Walt Disney World Resorts with Pam Forrester. We explore what and where they are, the benefits, pricing, the different ones throughout the properties, is it worth it, whom it may best be right for, and how to get the most out of staying there. I take a stroll down Hollywood and Sunset Boulevards at the Disney MGM Studios with Matt Hotchberg as we explore the history, architecture, details, hidden gems, and immersive experience in the shops, buildings, and facades in an effort to introduce you to some of the wonderful attention paid to detail at the studios. I'll answer some more of your emails and play some of your voicemails on a show that I hope you find both fun and informative. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. WDW Radio Show News and Views Report Live from the WDW Radio Studios in Scotch Plains, New Jersey The news this week starts off with a major change coming to all the hotels at the Walt Disney World Resort As of June 1st of this year Walt Disney World is going to ban smoking in all of its guest rooms at its hotels and DVC resorts on property According to Disney, they are the largest single-site resort complex to institute this type of smoking policy change. 
Since January of 2000, smoking has been allowed only in designated areas of the water and theme parks, but this new policy is going to apply to all guest rooms, patios, and balconies at the hotels. Smoking's always been prohibited in lobbies, common areas, restaurants, and convention space, but there always has been designated outdoor smoking areas. Disney says that in the last five years, demand for smoking rooms at the Walt Disney World Resort has been steadily declining, with less than 3.5% of the 24,000-plus on-site rooms only allowing smoking. Alternatively, requests for non-smoking rooms have increased dramatically. I think this is a great thing because many of us uh, probably may have had this in the past where you've requested a non-smoking room only to smell smoke in the carpets, drapes, or couches, etc. In fact, this happened to me last year when I went to the Boardwalk Cottage. Disney, of course, fixed it and made everything right very quickly, but it was there. So, you know, and for people with severe allergies, I'm sure are grateful for this, as well as those who may find uh, the smell unpleasant. I hope that guests respect this policy, as I think most do, and only use the designated areas, uh, much as they have in the theme parks. I know that some people do find it somewhat offensive to see people smoking outside those areas, so the hope is that they are conveniently located for those that want to smoke, but outside the normally traversed common guest areas. Speaking of resorts over at the Contemporary, the new game room has opened with a name other than what was shown on the concept art. It's called The Game Station, and it really follows a very Tomorrowlandish, retro-futuristic decor. Uh, it does have the reported prize redemption counter in place. I will try and get some photos and post those up in the show notes. If you have any pictures and want to send them along, by all means, please send them to Lou at WDWRadio.com. As always, the news turns to food, as there is much more food news, a lot of this coming out of the Orlando Business Journal. We spoke in the past about L'Originale Alfredo de Roma Restaurante closing on August 31st, 2007. That's going to make way for the new establishment from the Patina Restaurant Group. They're going to take over running the restaurant the next day. It's going to be very generic Italian fare with a, a different menu than what we have now. That's going to go on until the summer of 2008 when it's going to close for the major, major refurbishment transformation into the new Patina Restaurant, which is going to open in fall of that year. In Japan, Tempura Kiku and the Matsunoma Lounge are going to be replaced by new Japanese eateries, this time with an emphasis on sushi when the area reopens later this year. It's approximated that it's going to open on August 25th of 2007. Cosmetic refurbishments have been completed over at the Lotus Blossom Cafe. That has reopened as well as the Joy of Tea kiosk out in front of the China Pavilion. The Nine Dragons is going to close in early 2008 for some major renovations. There's going to be a completely redesigned kitchens, which are going to allow guests to interact with the chefs at the five different stations, and they can order and watch the food being prepared right from there. I think that's very cool. Over at Mexico, the San Angel Inn restaurant, as part of the uh, attraction refurbishment over to the Grand Fiesta Tour, has received an additional 25 seats, so there will be some more seating inside there. While outside, the 50-60 to seat tequila bar is planned to replace part of the existing retail area near the San Angel Inn. That is supposed to open in late summer of this year. The cantina itself is going to undergo refurbishments. That's going to get an expanded kitchen. It's going to move around the seating areas to really improve the view of World Showcase for illuminations viewing and whatnot. It's also going to feature a new menu, and we expect these changes to be completed in summer of 2008. 
I reported in the past about Le Cellier in Canada, Beer Garden in Germany, and the Rose and Crown Pub in the UK scheduled for minor refurbishments. Those are going to be rolling throughout the year. Before you head on down to Walt Disney World, make sure you check the calendar at DisneyWorld.com to find out exactly when those restaurants are going to open and close. And there is a rumor that I'll report here that Chefs de France and Restaurant Marrakesh are in the design process right now for major renovations planned for some time, probably starting in 2009. As more information comes out, we will, of course, report on it here. Quinceanera parties, which are traditional Latin coming-of-age celebrations, can now be celebrated at the Walt Disney World Resort. Families can either use their own ideas or one of Disney's pre-designed themed quinceanera events that will take away from the worry of planning. Disney is offering these very traditional events for girls turning age 15, which is kind of like a passage into young womanhood. Disney event planners can help guests enhance any event with options such as Cinderella's Enchanted Crystal Coach, much more just like they do for weddings. They'll allow choices of menus, up to fairy tale linens, specially designed centerpieces, and they have three basic different themes that girls can go with. The first is a reflection of you. Disney says, your quinceanera in the midst of the world's most spectacular fireworks displays, illuminations, reflections of Earth at Epcot. Two, dancing with a star. Your quinceanera celebration dazzles at a designated Disney resort, hotel, or theme park with a hip multilingual DJ spinning the latest tunes. Or three, the bell of the ball. A quinceanera dream come true when she becomes a Disney princess of this majestic ball. To celebrate the launch of this new offering, Disney treated a group of lucky young ladies to a memorable quinceanera event on Tuesday, May 1st, as part of the Year of a Million Dreams celebration. They honored 15 girls selected from all over the U.S. and Puerto Rico through an essay contest with the help of Hispanic media partners and gave them their own very special, very memorable quinceanera celebration. And speaking of the year of a million dreams, while talk of the promotion seems to have died down, there are unfortunately still some people that question the promotion as a whole and sometimes even put a negative spin on something that I personally think is absolutely wonderful and incredibly special to both guests and cast members. So I wanted to give you an update on what's been happening with the promotion itself in Walt Disney World. In the past six months, 500,000 dreams have been given out by Disney cast members worldwide illustrating that Disney is well on its way to giving out more than a million dreams and literally tens of millions of magical moments in the span of just one year. As I said, some people complain that not only have they not won a dream, but that they never even see the Dream Squad while in Walt Disney World, in the parks, at the hotels, anywhere else. Well, to contradict those feelings and beliefs, believe it or not, according to Meg Crofton, president of the Walt Disney World Resort, she said, our guests are ecstatic when we tell them that they've won a Disney dream. Believe it or not, This happens about 3,200 times per day here at the Walt Disney World Resort alone. So from the Fouch family, they were the ones to win the first night in Cinderella Castle, to the guest that wins a Dream Fast Pass or Mickey Ears, this promotion really serves as an extension to the smile that I think is really on the face of most people already. Now, you may not know this, but on March 14th, a couple of months ago, 17-year-old Eustace, Florida resident Joshua Peterson won one of the most coveted prizes Disney was giving away, the 14-day vacation around the world to visit all 11 Disney theme parks. So you can, one can only imagine you know, his excitement, as well as everybody else that wins, as well as that of the cast members that are fortunate enough to bestow that dream and help create such unforgettable memories for these guests. 
In addition to the prizes that are on the Year of a Million Dreams get, uh, giveaway list, there are more than 3 million magical moments that have been given out in Walt Disney World alone, with obviously millions more to come until the promotion is over. I think this is a wonderful, historic celebration that not only embodies the true magic of Disney, but it illustrates and affords cast members the ability to really make everyone feel special. So if you've had a magical moment or a Year of a Million Dream prize that was given to you and want to share with us, please call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW and let us know. As always, if you have any news that you want to report on or comment on anything that you've heard today, you can call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW, send an email to lou at wdwradio.com, or talk about it in the forums at disneyworldtrivia.com. And now, a trip to the Walt Disney World Rumor Mill. Just a couple of quick things to touch on in this week's edition of the Walt Disney World Rumor Mill, including something that we touched on in the past and seems to be coming back yet again. I reported back in March of 2006 and again in November in the rumor mill about a pirate-themed restaurant coming to Adventureland, and again, this rumor is beginning to resurface. While the rumor earlier was that the theming would take place in the existing El Parada y El Perico restaurant, the new twist is that it now may be planned for the old Veranda restaurant site located across from the Swiss Family Treehouse in Adventureland. In keeping with the tie-in to the obviously wildly successful movie franchise, the working name is allegedly Tortuga or Tortugas and will offer a much-needed themed restaurant for boys as well as other pirate wannabes, much as Cinderella's Royal Table is there for girls and princesses in trainings. I think this is a great idea for a number of reasons. First, the Magic Kingdom needs another sit-down restaurant, assuming that is what this is going to be. And a themed pirate restaurant is a no-brainer. Now, while the location, if it is going to be closer to Swiss Family Treehouse, may be somewhat distant from the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction, the venue does offer more space than what is available over at El Parada y El Perico. Now, if you're not familiar with the Adventureland Veranda Restaurant, if you crossed from the hub into Adventureland over the bridge, it was the first thing that you saw on the right-hand side. Right now, that area is used for character meet-and-greets. Uh, it is right before Aloha Isle, where, you, where they serve Dole Whips. This restaurant closed back in July of 1994 and really was kind of a mesh of different themes from Caribbean to Polynesian to Chinese. Uh, had a very, very unique sort of dining offerings there. For example, you can get teriyaki burgers that actually had pineapple on it. You can get a sweet and sour hot dog, shrimp fried rice, egg rolls, South seafood, fruit salads. So you see, it really kind of ran the gamut. It, the, the original restaurant opened without a sponsor. Then in 1977, Kiko Man, the, the soy sauce company, came in and they kind of infused a little bit more of an Asian Polynesian flair to, to some of the dining options. It had a number of outdoor seating locations on the east side. You could actually go and look out over to the canals by Cinderella Castle. On the west side, there was another open area where you could look at the Swiss Family Treehouse. Unfortunately, over time, the restaurant really started uh, opening on a sporadic basis, much like El Prat y El Perico did. Uh, it reopened kind of officially in 1998 while uh, Pagos Bill's Cafe in Frontierland was undergoing a refurbishment once that was completed. 
it did close down again and unfortunately it appears to have closed down permanently although like i said this would be a wonderful location for a new sit-down restaurant if for nothing else than the views alone I will continue to report on this as more information comes out. If you hear anything, by all means, please let us know. I am not really obsessed with food, but the next rumor also has to deal with dining at Walt Disney World. This comes out of Disney's Animal Kingdom, where the Tusker House is being closed for refurbishment from August 20th through now they're saying November 16th, 2007, which is going to lead us to believe that it may become a table service restaurant, much as I rumored in the past, but it's only really due to the length of the closure. Allegedly, it is going to be converted into a buffet-style restaurant for all meals from breakfast to dinner, and the counters are going to be removed completely, necessitating such a long refurb. As we hear anything further, we will, of course, let you know. And finally, over on Pleasure Island, where work continues in the transformation of that area completely, I've been told by listener Steve that he heard from one of the owners of the Sosa Cigars over at downtown downtown Disney's west side that a cigar bar is going to have their grand opening there in mid-May he told, talked to them about Cinco de Mayo, said that there may have very well been a, uh, a soft opening this week, but to look for that new cigar bar probably to open sometime later this month. So a quiet week in the Walt Disney World rumor mill. Again, if you have anything that you hear or want to talk about, by all means, please let us know and look for more rumors coming soon. questions I get asked all the time are not only about ways to save money on your trip to Walt Disney World, but the opposite end of the spectrum, which is things like concierge level rooms. A lot of people, you know, hear the term, they may get to stay in the rooms. Not everybody knows exactly what concierge is, what it affords you, how much is it, and and of course, is it worth it? So I wanted to bring back again our resident expert, and that's Pam Forrester, one of the owners of the Magic for Less Travel, to talk a little bit about concierge levels, answer some of these questions, and see if we can clear up some of these uh, these mysteries of concierge for you. So Pam, welcome back. Thanks so much, Lou. I'm so happy to be back and be able to talk to all your listeners again. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you back. So Pam, as somebody who I know has uh, been able to do a lot of quote-unquote research into the concierge <laughs> level rooms, you know, it, it's a... Uh, it's one of those pitfalls of having to run a travel agency experiencing the concierge level. It is. I, I hate to do it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Just like when I say, tell people I'm going on research trips, they're like, yeah, okay, great. You're going to Disney World. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, let's start off, you know, tell us exactly what is concierge level. Again, the, the term is used all the time, but maybe not everybody understands exactly what concierge really is. Well, Concierge Level is a service that's available at all of Disney's on-site deluxe resorts. And basically, it's just an extra level of service. Um, You're still going to be staying in a standard room, although it may be on a floor that is only accessible to concierge guests. Um, But you will get a lot of extra services, and that's basically what you're paying for. Um, The... The benefits of concierge as I see them are the access to the itinerary planning office and these are the people that will be available to help you with some itinerary planning before you arrive. Just the extra level um, of service itself and we can talk about more of that later. And then the food which is always the question that we get asked the most about. What's included and how much food is there and could this replace my regular meals and things like that. Um, 
The itinerary planning office um, is something that's available to concierge guests before you even arrive at the resort. And these are the people that are going to help you plan your vacation before you get there. From your dining arrangements to your recreation arrangements and any other special things you want to arrange, that's what these people are there for. And I think we both know how important it is to do even a little bit of planning before you arrive at your resort. Um, so, you know, I see this as a big benefit to, you know, concierge guests in particular. Sure, especially now that you have to kind of scramble 180 days out um, to start making your dining reservation. So you're saying that now you have one person that you can call and say, look, we're going to want to eat at Liberty Tree one day for lunch, Crystal Palace for breakfast, California Grill, but... And, and you just leave it to them and they'll take care of making these reservations for you. They do. It's more of an office, so you may not have exactly one person, although as the as this whole progresses, you know, as it, you get close to your trip, you may have one person you're in communication with more. But, um, yeah, you can either call or email these planners and they will help you out with this kind of thing. And, yeah, the priority seating or advanced dining, as it's now called, the it's becoming more and more critical to make at least some reservation in that area because they're getting full so um the restaurants you know used to be you could always walk up and you'd get something that's not always the case anymore so unless you want to eat your dinner at, at 3 45 or 10 15. exactly, <laughs> exactly. we have one seating at 10 20 you know so <laughs> for my kids that's not gonna work so yeah um that's the itinerary planning and i think you know also, if they'll help provide you with things like park hours and extra magic hours and, you know, information on things like that, I think the little planning things that you do before you arrive are the things that can make or break a vacation, really. Um, just to have, you know, you don't have to have everything written down to the minute, like what you're going to do each day. But if you have a general idea, I think that really helps you experience the most from your vacation. Right. And when they when they book all these things for you, they'll actually give you a printout of what all your ADRs are and the times yep. and confirmation numbers, too, So, which is nice. Yep, they will. They will. So um, it's a good thing, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and then the next thing is the extra level of service that you'll get. Um, and I'll just give you kind of an example from my experience, but... You know, you kind of drive up to the um, guard shack there at the resort and give them your name. Well, in the time that it takes us to get from the guard shack to Bell Services, there are typically two people there. We pull up. They're unloading our car. One of the concierge or a Bell Service person is explaining to us that they're going to take us right up to the concierge desk. We do not have to wait in the regular check-in line. Um, we go up to the concierge lounge, sit down, they get us a drink or whatever, and they go through all the procedure of checking in like you would standing at the desk. Um, and, you know, it's just things like that. It's just the way that you're treated. You know, it, you feel special, I have to say that. And it's just an extra level of pampering, an extra level of service. They, we, they've already communicated with us about our room requests. They know our names and they're, you know, they're referring to us by our names. They have our plans. They um, go out of their way to make sure that everything is just perfect. And the staff that's always available there in the lounge, we've always found to be extremely accommodating. Um, 
each each concierge level has a staff desk that is staffed for a certain hours each day and you'll get a um, list of that when you check in when the staff's available but the the staff is there to help you make any arrangements you haven't made before you left home and also um, to assist with things like recreation or any ticket purchasing you need to do and things like that. So it's a great resource to have. All right, you mentioned two things of importance. Number one is that you do get to bypass the check-in, the, the normal resort check-in. You don't have to stand online. You're brought right up to the second point, which is there's actually a concierge lounge for each of the deluxe resorts on a, a separate floor usually than the first floor. Um, Tell us a little bit about what the lounge encompasses. What is up at the lounge? How do you access the lounge? And obviously the fact that the lounge is only for concierge-level guests. It isn't uh, available to every you know every guest. Um, for most of the resorts, the lounge is accessible using your key card. And you will have a specially encoded key card. And only guests who are concierge can get to the floor where the lounge is. Um, at the Animal Kingdom Lodge, if you stand in the back of the lobby and look up towards the front of the resort, you'll see kind of a balcony area and room and things like that. That's the Animal Kingdom Lodge's concierge. And it's up on the top floor, and only guests who are concierge guests can get on that floor. Um, at the Wilderness Lodge, it's, it's the same. If you look up at the very top, you'll be able to see the concierge lounge. Um, and... At the contemporary, it's certain floors. So you will your key card when you're a concierge guest will be encoded. And when you get into the elevator, you'll put the card into a little slot, and then you'll be able to press the floor that is the concierge floor. Um, and another little note: typically, your card, your key card, when you're a concierge guest, is a different color. It's gold, where the other ones are blue, typically. So just a little note there. Um, but so then once you get up there to the lounge, there's a seating area and TV and things like that. And then the thing that most people ask us about, which is the food that is offered at the concierge lounge. Um, and that's a big draw for so many people. And I can see why. I mean, there's different, you know, food offerings available throughout the day. Right. And, and it varies. The food options vary by the different lounges. And just to give you a sample, for example, over at Animal Kingdom Lodge, in the evening they have food that comes directly from Jico and Bowman. We're not talking just cheese and crackers, you're, you're talking <laughs> salmon, chicken, pork, um, hummus over at the Grand Floridian. We'll talk about later because there's a couple of different levels of concierge service. They have, from what I understand, some exceptional food as well as some incredibly indulgent desserts. Uh, let's see, the... All of them have continental breakfast, including things like Danish muffins, donuts, bagels, fruit, whatnot. And this, like you said, this is where I think it's a huge benefit. And we'll talk about kind of the weighing, the, the cost versus the benefits. But for example, if you're a family that wants to get out, get to the park early, especially if you have young kids, don't want to maybe do a full-blown sit-down breakfast. This is perfect because you can go up, get something quick. If you have young kids, they'll fill their bottles with milk. They'll give them some fruit. They'll give them some you know, Cheerios to take with them. And you're in and out without having to worry about making a full-blown, you know, dining reservation. I agree. And typically, you know, the concierge lounge will start serving maybe some coffee and juice at 6.30. 
the breakfast starts around seven and that's just going to be a continental breakfast but i think that's what most people eat now unless you're going to go to a big character breakfast or things like that you'll see fresh fruit juices pastry cereal bagel danishes all those kinds of things um and that usually goes until about 10 30 and then around, between like 11 and 3 they have a couple snack offerings we're not talking about anything big here that would that would take the place of lunch maybe some pretzels and cookies and things like that but you know if you're walking in and out grab a cookie right. grab something to drink you know it's it's those little things that make you feel pampered if you're heading back um, for the you know your afternoon swim or your afternoon exactly. nap it's a quick little thing that you can grab and then when you're done when you're ready to go back to the park yeah, they usually have something else a, a late another food offering a little bit later on in the afternoon right they do they usually have a tea which is usually has some scones. I, I'm a big scone fan. I don't know what goes on, there, but I love them. <laughs> and that, you know, sometimes a scone and coffee around three o'clock is what I need to get me through the rest of the evening. Um, and then usually around five or seven, they have the appetizers, which you talked about, which do offer some hot and cold choices. And they're from, there usually are some signature dishes from the resort. Like I know that. Uh, oftentimes the hot appetizers offered in the Contemporaries Concierge Lounge are from the California Grill. And like you mentioned, um, Animal Kingdom has things from Gico. Um, Grand Floridians can have, you know, appetizers from um, the from Citrico's or Narcoosies or things like that. So they're, they are really, you know, part of that resort's theme still. They're carrying through with that theme. And so you get to experience um, some of that food from the resort. And there will usually be some complimentary wines available and even um, beer in some of them. I know that my husband really enjoyed um, a beer, an African beer, um, when we were at the Animal Kingdom Lodge concierge. In fact, it kind of became a joke with the concierge. He would see Steve in the evening and he would automatically go and get him one. <laughs> Um, so, and then that kind of sold Steve, so. Well, you know, just to be clear, because you make a good point, that's not because your husband's, you know, a raging alcoholic, it's because they really do get to know you and get to know, because they did the exact same thing for us when we brought our kids there in the morning. They knew what my daughter liked. They, they went over, they helped my wife make a plate of stuff for my daughter. They filled my son's bottle with milk. So it's that attention to service, not the fact that, you know, you know your husband needs to have a beer in his hands right. every five minutes, no. let's just be clear. <laughs> no, he didn't. In fact, most of the time I would make him split it with me. So Yeah, but you're right. And they have, and the, the offerings in the evenings are really, really nice. And again, if you want to head back to the resort and have, you might, you can, I mean, you could really, you know, you can almost make a dinner out of, out of their evening offerings and, and the food is exceptional. They have a lot of cordials. They have, like you said, Animal Kingdom Lod has some uh, wonderful African wines. But they do. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's practically, again, depending on how you eat, depending on how you vacation, you could almost make a meal out of what you I can think, get. In a, I think I've heard a lot of people's strategies, especially when they're looking at concierge as a way to break even or even save money is you know breakfast you can easily do there continental breakfast and then some people will have a larger sit-down meal in the parks because there's not really a lunch offering in concierge and then you know they're prepared for a lighter evening meal and the appetizers and things presented in the evening could be a substitute for a light evening meal and they do i do want to mention they do have children's choices available they have typically like uncrustables and goldfish crackers and you know things that appeal to kids too so they're very aware 
of the importance of children in the lounge. They're not ignored by any sense, you know, of that. And um, it's really something designed for the whole family. This isn't an adult-only lounge or things like that. There's frequently the Disney Channel playing and things like that. There's always kids in the lounge. Right, so you actually made really my next point. Yeah, because I didn't want it to make it sound like my kids were the only one in, the, in there and everybody else is, is you know, quiet. It, it right. is a very, very family-friendly kind of environment. And again, Absolutely. if there's something that you need that they don't have, they will go get it for you. And I at the agree. end of the night, if you want to go back to your room and say, hey, you know what? I need a couple of bottles of soda, a thing of milk. They'll, they've made up, you know, they made up a bag for me of stuff that I could take back to my room. They're extremely accommodating. I have never had less than stellar service from any of the concierge staff that's there in the lounge. They're just really a great bunch of people and there to make things easier for you and pamper you. And that is that extra level of service that you're paying for. And you really see the benefits of that. And before we get off the topic of food, I just want to mention one more thing. <laughs> <laughs> there is that evening dessert and cordials that's available at the concierge lounge. is usually between like 8 and 10. And they have some amazing desserts and some great cordials available um, for, you know, for guests to indulge in too. So, that I mean... You know, what is a better way to end the night, you know, yeah. when you're at Disney World than to come back to your resort, be able to sit down, have a great dessert and a great glass of wine or cordial or, you know, whatever, whatever your little heart desires. <laughs> it's a nice end to what would be a great day at Disney World. Yeah, And the lounges are beautiful. I I've only stayed once, to be honest, and that was uh, over at the boardwalk. They had actually upgraded us because they had overbooked so they had sent us over um and we we went to the innkeepers club over at the boardwalk and the lounge is beautiful you had uh, wonderful views you could actually see the fireworks outside from the balcony right so before we talk about the cost because it's obviously going to be you know all of this comes at a premium let's talk right. about some of the individual um concierge le levels at some of the different resorts at disney's animal kingdom um lodge it's the kilimanjaro club and right. There's 74 different rooms and suites. Uh, and with, with the Animal Kingdom Lodge, specifically, you get a couple of added benefits and that you get to take take part in one of two or both special offerings. That's a sunrise safari breakfast adventure or the sunset or Wanyama safari take that takes place in the evening. And these are both stellar events. We've had the opportunity to participate in both. And particularly the evening sunset safari that is one of the coolest things i've ever done at disney world it is just amazing now it comes at a fee you have to pay for this in addition to your concierge you know the difference in price from a standard room to a concierge room then you have to pay a fee to participate in the sunset or sunrise safari which is about 100 but, i'm sorry it's 150 dollars for the sunset and about 55 dollars for the for the breakfast safari right but it is so worth it. It is so worth it. Um, we did the Sunset Safari, and you start out by, it's, in, it's a small group, and forgive me, I can't remember the exact number, but I want to say eight to ten guests. And you travel in this little van um, that has windows all around it and things like that, and you go through the safaris there at the Animal Kingdom Lodge. And you get so close to the animals and you're with some animal trainers, cast members that are going to explain how they do things at the Animal Kingdom Lodge. 
and they talk about the little idiosyncrasies of the animals and things like that. Like, for instance, on ours, we learned that, you know, the zebras are kind of nasty animals, which I didn't really even know. They're kind of the bad boys of the savannah, <laughs> they talked about. And at times they have to seclude them from the other animals because they're just not very nice. And they were introducing some new animals on the savannah when we were there. And it was really just such an in-depth look at that. And we got to have our picture taken right there with the giraffe behind us. I mean, it honestly, it was incredible. It was really an incredible experience. And then after you participate in driving through the savannas, then you do a little what's called a sundowner, which is some traditional Afri African safari um, foods. And then the you know, another great feature of this is you get to go back and have a family style meal at Jico. Mm. Your party is set up at your own table there. Um, the chef comes over and talks with you and a number of Jico signature dishes are presented to your party um, family style. And it's a great way to taste a lot of what Jico has to offer, which I think is just, you know, an incredible offering to begin with. And it also includes wine Honestly, it was a great evening and just one of those things, you know, when you're looking back on things that really were something you'll remember for your life, this is one of those things. It was incredible and I would do it again in a heartbeat. And that's what it sounds like. It sounds like it's one of those, you know, really, really special things to do. And yeah, maybe $150 sounds like a lot, but, you know, by, by the way you're raving about it, it definitely sounds like it's worth it. Let's look, let's look at a couple of other concierge level lounges yeah i guess we can't talk about animal kingdom Lodge. because you've been talking about jico so much i'm starving <laughs> <laughs> at, at the yacht and beach club resort you have the regatta club and stone harbor club respectively there's about 67 club level rooms and suites over at the yacht club 95 over at the beach club again you talk about uh you know resort specific food offerings you get things like braves beef a lot of seafood things like steve steam clams uh, if you want to go to the lounge, you can let your kids go on the Albatross Treasure Cruise, which is a pirate excursion that the kids can go on uh, over at Crescent Lake, which I wish they had for adults. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we mentioned briefly the Innkeepers Club at Disney's Boardwalk. And that was wonderful. My wife could not rave enough about the chocolate-covered strawberries. Um, <laughs> we we actually got, like I said, we got upgraded to one of the cottages that um, oh, that is behind the nice. book, which was beautiful. It, it's a two-story cottage. It had, um, you know, a sitting room. It had a living room. It had a bathroom. Very, very nice. Very romantic for our family of four, including two kids. <laughs> you got to make romance where you can, Lou. Exactly. Um, the Polynesian Resort has the King Kamahamea Club, which has a two-story lounge. I've, I've heard wonderful, wonderful things about not only the lounge itself, but the quality of the staff at the Polynesian. Disney's and that lounge... I'm sorry. Oh, sorry, Lou. That lounge is incredible. It has a nighttime view of the Magic Kingdom fireworks. Um, you know, we talked about how nice it is to end the day with dessert and cordials. Well, how nice is it to end the day with dessert, cordials, and an I indoor beautiful view of the Magic Kingdom no. fireworks? It's a great asset to that concierge lounge. I definitely smell research trip in my near future. <laughs> <laughs> Um, another one that I've heard such wonderful things about is the Old Faithful Club at Disney's Wilderness Lodge. There's uh, supposedly the, the guest to staff ratio is very, very small. So you really get a lot of attention because there's only 50 club level rooms. And the things that people that have uh, really raved about 
is the evening wine and cheese. They just say it is worth the price right there because you get things like salmon pot pie. You get these incredible cordials and desserts. So uh, I agree. I totally agree. And actually, we stayed there not too long ago. Um, it has been rehabbed recently. It is a beautiful lounge now. Um, really an improvement in that area. And the food and wine offered is, I mean, I just saw a marked improvement when we went through that last rehab with, with the lounge. Um, and the area is so much more appealing. I have pictures that I'll be glad to send to you so you can put up on the website. But we found the staff there to be extremely accommodating and the food choices to be really good. They focus on the the uh, Pacific wines in the evening and um, for those of you who have tasted that magic cookie that's offered in the Wilderness Lodge <laughs> Roaring Forks that's frequently available in the dessert offering so I have to admit to indulging in that a few times <laughs> but it was great a great experience and I agree with that well, the last two deluxe resorts are uh, the Contemporary Resort and the Grand Floridina. And the reason why I save these for last is because, unlike the others, both of these offer two different levels of concierge service. Is that right? They do. And there used to be a real marked difference between the two levels of service. But in the last, I think, 18 months when they did that kind of concierge rehaul, you know, to try to make things more standard at all the concierge lounges, the differences between those two vanished. Um, it used to be that the Grand Floridian um, concierge services, there was one in Sugarloaf, which is actually an outbuilding, um, a whole building dedicated specifically to concierge. And then there's the concierge that is offered in the main building of the Grand Floridian. And it used to be that only the concierge in the main building served desserts and cordials and things like that, alcohol. Um, but now both lounges offer the same things. So there's really been a standardization in that. So if you're looking to try maybe the concierge at the Grand Floridian, don't want to pay the big bucks, you could try Sugarloaf Concierge and you're still going to get great service. And that is actually true with the contemporary as well. There used to be a marked difference in the two concierge um, services offered on the 14th and the 12th floor. Um, the 12th floor used to be called kind of concierge light. And actually the concierge staff was only available there for a limited amount of time. Um, after five o'clock, there weren't any food offerings. So no appetizers, no desserts, no alcohol, no things like that. Um, in the latest rehab of the contemporary, those differences have been taken away. And both concierge services offer a full service of meals, food, um, and access to the staff. Hmm. All right. So suffice it to say that I think we've convinced ourselves and, and probably most <laughs> other people that concierge <laughs> is a wonderful thing. Uh, yes, between the exclusive wonderful. access and the food and the amenities... And the, you know, if you think Disney service is good for for everyday guests, imagine what you get for concierge level guests. Obviously, like I said, this is going to come at a price. And let's talk a little about what the difference in price is going to be, if you think it's worth it, and, and who maybe would benefit most from concierge level. Because it's probably not right for everybody or every family's, you know, vacationing style. No, absolutely not. I mean, if you have a trip planned and you're going to be spending most of your time in the parks, you'd have no time to take advantage of or enjoy the services offered at the concierge lounge. I, you know, it wouldn't be an option that I would consider. Um, 
I think it is kind of the perfect way to treat yourself, treat your family. Um, a special occasion, a time, a time when you're going to the parks, but you're also going to be spending a lot of time at the resort. Um, and also, you know, for a lot of guests, I think a good way to experience concierge is maybe to add a few nights at the beginning of your trip or at the end of your trip. Um, and that way you can get the feel of it, see what you think of it, but not be invested in a full week of concierge stay. Right. That was something um, I was going to bring up later on. I just want to stop real quick because you can do it for just individual nights. You don't have to do it for the entire length of your stay if you want. Right. Exactly. And that's really a great way to kind of test the waters and see what you think about it. Or just, you know, to kind of celebrate some little special occasion. Let's let's add a night or two of concierge at the end of your anniversary stay or at the end of, you know, a big long stay. I can't think of a better way than to wind down with a couple days at the resort. And that way you would have time to really enjoy the services that are offered there. Absolutely. I agree. All right, so now let's get into the not-so-bad news as people might think, and we're going to talk again about the justification of price. What are you talking difference-wise for for the room per night? Well, let's talk about a few examples. Um, I, you know, talked up the Animal Kingdom Lodge concierge a lot, so I'll specifically talk about that. And I'll mention prices and value season just so um, your listeners know, you know, where to start with this. Um, so a regular Savannah view room during value season at the Animal Kingdom Lodge is $285. A standard concierge room at Animal Kingdom Lodge is $325 a night. So not a huge difference in price there. I mean, I can see how, you know, some people when trying to do the math and looking, you know, exclusively from a cost perspective, um, they could justify that fairly easily. Um, the $40 difference in price doesn't seem too bad to me. Um, I, I, I want to encourage people not to look at this strictly from a cost perspective, even though we're, you know, we're talking about, it, and I know it's going to be a consideration because it's hard to put a dollar amount on how you feel and those services, but you know, I, we, we all have to consider the cost. So each guest will have to decide if that jump in price is something that, you know, is worth it to them. Right. And, and all the, <clears throat> excuse me, all the differences in price are about the same. I mean, you're, t- you're talking the same ballpark, generally speaking. Obviously, there's there's higher levels of service that you can get. And again, I guess it depends really on how you vacation. If you know that you're going to take advantage of the breakfast every morning and maybe a snack or a cordial at night, that may make up any kind of difference of money that you would spend for your family of four for that room. Absolutely. And think, you know, things as simple as, you know, calculating the cost of like, you know, you go back to the resort in the afternoon and you each have a soda or a coffee or, uh, you know, something like that. All those little things I really think can add up to see where you could really justify this cost. It's not, you know, this is not an outrageous cost because we're getting all these benefits. And so it may really be a case where the benefits, you know, completely justify the cost. And I, and I was going to say half jokingly, but if you think about it, it's true. If you go there in the morning, you now have saved money on breakfast. You ask them all for a bottle of water, each of you, for each of you, for your family, for which they'll give you and you can bring into the parks. You've now saved on a bottle of water. You can ask them for a little bag of Cheerios or snacks for your little kids. You now don't have to worry about stopping and buying something else. Get water, bring it back to your room at night, snacks back to your room at night as opposed to stopping in maybe the general store or somewhere else on property to get a snack at night. 
you know that definitely adds up and you're going to come very close to that to that dollar figure and again you can't you can't put a dollar amount on the uh, the service and the amenities as well it does and you know especially for guests who may already be looking at a premium view room what you may want to consider is a premium level of room like for instance at the Grand Floridian if you're already going to be paying the $465 a night for that Magic Kingdom view maybe instead of paying for the view at 465 you should consider the Lodge Concierge at 490 now you won't have that Magic Kingdom view but you will have access to that lounge for what is a relatively small increase in price you get a lot of benefits and it really you know, is a is a choice that each guest themselves is gonna. You know, they're gonna have to weigh those options. But I have never been disappointed in the amount of money, the extra money that we paid for concierge. It just has. Once I'm there, it has never occurred to me why did I spend this extra money. It's just you're there. It feels, you know, you feel pampered. It feels like a really special experience, and you know, we really enjoy our time there. Yeah, again, the one opportunity that I did have to stay when I did go to the boardwalk was exceptional. And I see why people rave about it. I see why people going back. And if you can do it, if it is a special occasion or you can justify it, I would also highly recommend trying it out at you know your favorite resort or a resort that you may want to indulge in and check it out. And um, I know that we when we were there, we saw a couple of celebrities too, which is actually pretty cool. So. Oh, <laughs> it happened. <laughs> I was going to ask you which uh, concierge I thought was best, but I'm sure we all can tell by now that you think Animal Kingdom Lodge is probably the best. <laughs> was I gushing? <laughs> I didn't mean to. <laughs> no. we. You know, we've just really had exceptional service there, and we've had great service at every lounge. I will definitely say that. Very impressed, like I mentioned, with Wilderness Lodge the last time we were there. And I think the Polynesian has... Um, the best concierge lounge on property just really the lounge itself not the complete package but the actual lounge the ability to see cinderella's castle and the fireworks and things like that i think just you know make for a great experience in the lounge um but overall yeah my favorite definitely is animal kingdom lodge and those two special experiences that concierge guests um can partake in you know, really adds to my good feelings already with that lounge. <laughs> so, um, but they're all really, they all have their strong points. And it's really just something that I think that a lot of guests would benefit from if they, you know, um, took all those things that we mentioned into consideration. And we're looking for a, a way to indulge a little bit. And sometimes on vacation, especially a Disney World vacation, you don't really build in times to indulge. I mean, you you know, it all seems like an indulgent, of course, that you're going to Disney World. But when you think about your typical Disney World vacation, a lot of time is spent running around. And, you know, this really kind of gets you to slow down and enjoy the pace that, um, you know, a, uh, a little, <laughs> you know, respite from it all. Right. And um, I, I really enjoy it. Well, good. And, and the other good news, too, is that there are often discounts available on concierge level rooms. You don't always have to pay full rack rates for them. The bad news is that they're not always available. They do sell out relatively fast, especially during some of the busier times of year. What I would recommend you do, if you do have any more questions about concierge level rooms, if you want to maybe look into booking one, find out about some of those um, 
discounts, and have any other questions, go ahead and contact Pam or any member of her team over at The Magic for Less Travel. Obviously, Pam has had the good fortune of being able to experience them all as well as her agents and uh, would definitely be able to help you with their discount checking service to try and get the best possible price for that room. Pam Forrester, thank you so much um, for clearing it up. And um, fortunately, hopefully my wife won't hear this so she doesn't make me stay in the constitutional <laughs> room next time. <laughs> Thanks again so much, Lou. I really enjoy being on. Thank you, Pam. As you probably know by now, one of the things that I think truly makes Walt Disney World so magical is the attention to detail paid by its designers, artists, and Imagineers to really every aspect of the parks, resorts, attractions, restaurant, and more. An important part of the the experience really lies in the immersion into whatever you're doing or wherever you are. And unfortunately, much of this detail is either overlooked by the excited guest who's rushing towards their favorite attraction, or not really appreciated or understood by somebody passing by. So one of the things I love doing on my site and in my books on the show is drawing your attention to some of these hidden treasures in an effort to enhance your experience in the parks and on your vacation. So one of the places that I think that this detail is really taken to the next level is over at the Disney MGM Studios. The entire park is rich in history, both real and imagineered, and it's evident from the moment you step through the gates. So I wanted to bring on somebody who's not only familiar with some of these details, but appreciates them as well on his website, mgmstudios.org. You may know him as my co-host that never made it on the show or the host of the WDW Today podcast, Matt Olu Hotchberg. Welcome to the show, Matt. <laughs> Thanks. It's about time I got on this show. I mean, I was the co-host for like two days. <laughs> And just so you know, I I tell her I had nothing to do with that, <laughs> despite the hundreds of <laughs> Shh, anything to generate publicity. <laughs> so was, yeah, I like the I like the the thread on your on your forum saying, yeah, Matt's going to be a great addition, good guy. All they do for me. It's really uh, you know it was very pleasing to see. Yeah, Lou, you really couldn't handle it on your own. So thank God you're bringing in a professional to to help you out on the show. <laughs> Well, you know, Lou, if you are going to sputter in a spiral downward fashion, you might as well bring someone on. To help. You know, it's it's the uh, it's the uh, the the episode where the um uh you know the the shark jumping episode. Is <laughs> but I heard the the number of downloads uh, for WDW today skyrocketed after that. You guys like number two in iTunes for all podcasts after the announcement was made. Well, there you go. So my, my, my departure clearly indicates <laughs> higher ratings for WDW today. I can hear so, people clicking off their iPods as we speak. <laughs> so anyway, like I said, Matt, what I wanted to do now that your check is cleared is is have you come on and introduce people, whether they're their first time visitors or seasoned veterans, to some of the real wonderful attention that to detail that's paid over at the studios. I think it can really be found throughout the park, but most notably right when you walk in, right on Hollywood Boulevard. So we thought we would stroll down this this main street and talk about some of the choices made by Imagineers and the architecture, the design, and even the naming of the buildings and how they tie in to the real Hollywood of, of yesterday and today. And when the studios opened on May 1st, 1989, uh, chairman at the time, 
Michael Eisner. He read the de- dedication, which read... Ooh. The- <laughs> <laughs> oh, my... Oh, Bob Iger. We love you, Bob Iger. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the world you have entered was created by the Walt Disney Company and is dedicated to Hollywood. Not a place on a map, but a state of mind that exists wherever people dream and wonder and imagine. A place where illusion and reality are fused by technological magic. We welcome you to a Hollywood that never was and always will be. So, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was about to say, I love that quote, the the Hollywood that never was and always will be. It's a great quote, I thought. Uh, It's true, and it's exactly what they really do throughout the park, and especially on Hollywood. They they take you back to this golden age of Hollywood that never really existed, but it kind of exists in in everybody's minds. I I call it the Tomorrowland clause because, (laughs) you know, they they learn their lesson from Tomorrowland that they can never actually, you know, keep up with keeping Tomorrowland tomorrow-ish. So it's the please don't hold us to this because we're never going to be able to, so we're just giving you this and enjoy it. <laughs> but, but the thing that's great about it is they, the, you know, the Imagineers recreated a lot of landmarks from in and around LA and Hollywood and as part of their research into this they, they watched, supposedly they watched thousands of films really to get a sense of the architecture and the feel for the entire park from the facades of the buildings to you know the Chinese theater, even the sound stages, everything it's very evocative of you know this golden age, but again, not anything real or specific. So let's kind of start at the beginning. We'll start at the entrance and talk about you know going into the studios and uh, and really how it takes place from there. Sure. Well, I mean, the first building that you're going to run into is uh, well, depending uh, how you get into the into the <laughs> studios, because there's two entrance. Uh, what is it? Three entrances? There's like eight different ways to get in. And, well, you've you know, got you've actually- got the VIP entrance, so that that yeah, we can't. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because I've never, I, I don't think, I can't remember the last time I actually went in the main entrance. I'm always going in that, you know, the quote unquote back entrance by Epcot over there. You know, I never go, I never find my way. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, when you're walking into the park, the first thing you're going to notice is the entrance, the, the, the spires with the flags on top. And that's actually a reference to the uh, old Pan Pacific Auditorium. And uh, you'll notice what it was. Actually, it's a very, very, very close um, replica of it. And the old Pan Pacific Auditorium uh, is—it's uh, over in uh, Los Angeles, California. It was also known as the Xanadu Building, mm-hmm. which I had to do some research. <laughs> I don't know what Xanadu was. It evidently was a terrible film. <laughs> um, but the the, the actually the, the Pan Pacific Auditorium was used in uh, some film shots for the uh, in the for the Xanadu nightclub. Thank you, Wikipedia. Um, so. I can hear um, Len Testa singing his best uh, his best <laughs> Xanadu impression. <laughs> Xanadu, Xanadu, Xanadu. Um, but what's interesting about this, uh, you know, it that, that could stay right there. However, the actual building burnt down in '89. Um, actually, in May, in uh, right after the park opened, really eerie. Like the park coincidence? Studios, I think I not. <laughs> I know Eisner was like, "It's ours." Torched <laughs> it. <laughs> um, but the old build, the old one was uh, was was torched. I think there's still a spire that's left, and they and they keep it around in some park over there in, in L.A. But um, the reference, obviously, there is the Pan Pacific Auditorium. It's it's a very poignant one, and again, most people I don't think notice. It. I think they just it looks a lot with a lot of these that we're going to be talking about. I almost called you Len there. Um, <laughs> Great. <laughs> Uh, with a lot of these buildings, you don't really, you know, they, they made it fit in so well that you really don't notice that it's referenced from something else. And that's really a testament to the job that the Imagineers did, I think. Right. And, you know, for the for the person that, that hasn't been out to L.A., 
they may not realize. And for the person that has, they can appreciate seeing some of the things like the Pan Pacific. And even when you get right past the turnstiles, you know, over the, at the crossroads. Well, you know, it, it's it's that's that's a great point because some of them stick out more than others, and you know, the the crossroads of the world is the first one that you're gonna odds are you're gonna see and notice. And crossroads of the world is another dead-on replica. Some some of these buildings we're gonna talk about, Lou, are really dead-on replicas, like crossroads of the world and the entrance gates. While others just have theming elements to it that they that they brought over. And crossroads of the world, um, you know, this one's a little bit harder to figure out. This is built in 1936. Uh, and it was, um, it's unique for its uh, architecture because basically what it is is it resembles, it's supposed to resemble a miniature ocean liner. And you've got uh, portholes and railings and life preservers. So that's what it's supposed to look like. And I think today, it's still around today, and it's, it's used in a, uh, for touristy stuff. Uh, actually, yeah, it, it's a shopping plaza. Yeah, which is exactly what it is in, in the studio. So, um, you know, that's like art following, you know, um, uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> those words don't go on. Um, but it's, um, but it is. It's in L.A. again. It's on Sunset Boulevard, and uh, it's a very famous place. I think a lot of people can't get this one. The, the main difference, really, you're going to notice, uh, is that Mickey Mouse is on top of the spinning globe at, at the studios, where, he, of course, he is not at the one in uh, L.A. Right, and our Mickey Mouse, of course, um, you know, being the only one. If you if you look closely. You'll see that his right ear is higher than the left, and he's made of copper, and he's actually acts as a lightning rod. Yeah. So he does uh, double duty. He does double duty. He just gets in getting zapped and zapped and zapped. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a picture you don't see that often, Mickey Mouse getting struck by lightning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I'm surprised no one's gotten it yet. Where's, uh, you know, where's Tim Devine on that one? <laughs> But if you look, and I'll put a picture up in the show notes, it, it really is very, very close to to the original. I mean, the, the coloring is very close, the, the, the font is close, the globe, the, the height, everything is pretty much dead on to, to the original Crossroads of the World. Yeah, exactly. Um, and right next to it, you've got another uh, great building. It's, this is a, a great building that a lot of people overlook. They just figure it's a really tacky shop. It's um, Sid Kawanga's One of a Kind. And, you know, this building has some interesting history because... Uh, it's based on a real-life story of a man named Sid Coango. I don't think Disney can make up that name. <laughs> I mean, it's just a weird name like Mangello or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the guy moved to Hollywood in the early 1900s before you know Hollywood was really glamorous. I think that was about the time that Scopa went through his uh, you know, teenage years. <laughs> I thought he was graduating uh, university at that point. But <laughs> <laughs> And he built his house there, which, if you've seen it in the studios, uh, you know it's it's very it's unHollywood like, it's unglamorous, it's right. it's tacky-ish. You know, it's kind of like uh, if someone who's collecting soap opera stuff today might create a house, it might look like it. And uh, what happened was in in Hollywood is that the Sid refused to sell out to his to the other you know the, the studios that wanted his land and whatever. So you'd have all these different movie studios with their glamorous Hollywood glitz stuff, and then you had Sid's little house. <laughs> right, yeah, these little bungalows all over the yeah. place. <laughs> and uh, so Sid, of course, got the idea to sell movie memorabilia, and you know it's it's really I like Sid's in the studios. It's I mean the architecture is very interesting, but you know there's a lot of great stuff that they sell on there, and it's always changing. That's the other thing. I always go in there, and there's always different stuff they have on sale, and it's really random stuff. It's like uh, you know, the undershirt that Cher wore in, like, you know, something or else, and it's like, well, this is about as close as I'm getting to Cher, so. <laughs> <laughs> right. And some of the stuff in there, you know, is not inexpensive, too. I mean, they have great, if you're you're a movie buff, great place to get memorabilia, and I've even seen stuff from Walt Disney in there, and there's movie posters, and there's, uh, you know, one-offs and things like that, but some of the stuff is, is not cheap, to say the oh, least. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, the the movie posters actually tend to be pretty cheap. I found that in, out in front before you actually walk into the store on the little patio over there. Right. They have these. I I, I think I want to say that they're they were actually used for promotion of the movie. They're not reprints, um, but they're they're available. Some of them are kind of bent, which leads me to believe that they're that's why they're used. They were actually you know really used in the promotion of a film. Right. Um, so they tend to be more like weirder films. Like not they're not going to be. It's not a list films, if you will, but it's. Like I said, it, it's always worth a look in, and of course the the trivia on the board. Have you have you done the the trivia on the board there, Lou? Not really into the whole trivia thing. Yeah, not really. <laughs> you know, you really should try it out. I know it's a great website. Um, it, it's always fun because the great thing is they have five questions on the board over there, and if you know they're really random. So there's usually one or two that are Disney film, but there's also lots of other random stuff in there. And if you know the questions, you can tell the cast member who works there. And you get a, what's called a magical moment, and they'll uh, they'll let you sign the autograph book for the store, and they'll get you a little card. So it's kind of it's it's always a fun thing that I like to do. Cool, cool. You want to uh, you want to go up the left side, or just kind of go back and forth across the the, the central plaza? Yeah, let, let's let's zigzag like a Len test on a Friday night. You know, <laughs> just stammering back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> and you know my my favorite one of my favorite ones and this one you know again we're starting to reach at this point the, the obvious ones are kind of gone until we get to later on further out down um, Hollywood Boulevard but um there the dark room um is actually based on a a uh, building in the 1920s 1940s you know this kind of uh style of architecture is what's known as um it, it it's based on the kind of uh, architecture style where they would actually shape the building like the item they're selling, like hot dogs or donuts or something mm-hmm. like that. And in this case, it's a photograph. It's a camera. And evident. And just like in the real one, they're selling um, film in the, in the studio's one. And outside you have what appears to be a 35mm camera. And this was based on a similar building in, in uh, over on Wilshire Boulevard in uh, Los Angeles. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's supposed it's one of the, it's actually a protected monument in, in L.A., and uh, it's actually based on an Argus 35 millimeter camera, so it's it's. I always like it. I think it's it's so unique in how they in how they've done it, and it's very dead on. If you've ever seen some of the um the photos of the the original uh, darkroom building. Oh yeah, you can put it right next to each other, and, and you're right. It's completely accurate. And, and that movement that you were talking about was called the California Crazy Movement, uh, yep, and kind of that, that Art Deco thing. And, and uh, you mentioned the hot dogs. I remember there, there's a uh, seeing something on TV. There's one of those original hot dog stands from the 30s, shaped like a hot dog, which is surrounded by these giant size skyscrapers. But it, the building is protected, and the guy is still sitting there, you know, like Scopa, selling hot dogs 60, <laughs> 70 years later. <laughs> yeah, and um, it's uh, you know, it's just it's it's very unique. I'm sure a lot of people notice it. And again, it, it lends back to that thing where I think a lot of people just give credit to the Disney Imagineers, and that's probably more a testament to what a great job that they do. Uh, you know, the, the Imagineers just came up with the idea. Oh, well, let's put, you know, let's make a store like this. But, you know, again, all these stores have references to it, to real buildings. And, um, you know, another one that right across the street from the dark room, Lou, is uh, Mickey's of Hollywood. Right. And this is based on the old Max Factor building, which was uh, over in North Highland Boulevard, North Highland Avenue, excuse me. Uh, and the Max Factor for, I'm sure uh, your, your wife would be familiar with this. Um, <laughs> maybe, you know, Scopa's wife, maybe. This is really cool. The Max Factor is like, it's one of those terms I think that we've all heard, but, right. you know, it's so antiquated that it's like, it's like the word swell. It's still popular. <laughs> Benny um, Davis was a big fan of Max Factor. There you go. <laughs> Although, you know, to show my age, I'm like, Betty Davis eyes. Is <laughs> I was going to say, people are going, Betty who? <laughs> Betty Davis eyes. Oh, yes, that's the one. Oh, from Golden Girls. Yeah, that's where she's from. <laughs> <Betty Davis. laughs> 
a claim to fame. <laughs> exactly. Um, but the building, you know, was um, was actually built when it was first built. It was called the Hollywood Fire and Safe Building, and Max Factor bought the building in 1928, and uh, it's a dead-on uh, recreation of it. And it's called now Mickey's of Hollywood. And that in itself is, of course, a reference to Lou. I know you shop here. <laughs> Jessica, uh, Jessica's of Hollywood from the old Pleasure <laughs> Island. <laughs> right, Lou, come on. We, we all know. We, I've seen your credit card bills, Lou. <laughs> right. The old Testas of Hollywood lingerie shop. Um, that, that <laughs> The catalogs keep coming in, and I don't know why. So <laughs> right. You know, it's, um, it's the, the name, of course... Um, is um, Frederick's of Hollywood is the is the lingerie <laughs> line that that's referencing. Of course, in the building, in the studios, you won't find any of that. So they combine their uh, a look of a building, the Max Factor building, with the naming of the building. In this case, you know, uh, Mickey's of Hollywood, and it's it's um, it's it's a it's a fun little building over there. I like I like you know it's one of these you have to have that kind of appreciation for it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and what I like is you really can see the transitions, and you'll be able to see this as you go down Hollywood Boulevard and even Sunset Boulevard later on. You'll see that the transitions in the facade. You know, Mickey's of Hollywood has that Spanish revival look to it, and as you go down farther down Hollywood Boulevard, you kind of get that that black marble look on the outside of the building. Again, very reminiscent of the uh, the Max Factor building that was on North Highland. Yep, exactly. And um, further down, one of my favorite buildings is it, it incorporates so many different architectural styles. Is the Keystone Clothiers building? And because you've got on one end of it, when you're walking from the front entrance, you see one part of it, and then if you're coming from, say, the Sorcerer's Hat, you're going to see the other style of it. Uh, but this is really a great example of Art Deco streamlined modern architecture. Architecture. Um, and it's based on it's it's the the corner I'm talking about is the one that was on 6300 Hollywood Boulevard uh, with the angle of Coanga Avenue, and um, it's you know the 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 original building the ground floor was originally a drugstore with medical offices above it, and this one is just a really just a unique building in what they have because you know I, if I was architecturally or an architect. Architect, rather. You know. <laughs> I was one of those kind of guys. Art Vandalay. Art Vandalay, right. If that happened to be my name, I might be able to, uh, you know, give a little more insight into the different things that they're using over there. But, you know, you've got when you walk, when, again, when you're walking from the entrance, you're seeing that, that tealish color that you saw back in the entrance. And this is kind of the unofficial color of the studios. Whereas on the back side of it, you're seeing the rear side of, of Keystone Clothiers. You've got that, that Spanish, Mexican right. look to it. And it's it's so contrasting, but it, they make it work, you know. Right, how it goes from Art Deco to Southwestern, which doesn't appear like it would fit in anywhere, but it does. And you're, you're right, it works. It, it, it works. absolutely I, works. I, I don't know how. I mean, you would think if you say, if you put it on paper, you know, we'll put these two art architectural styles together. And well, you know, the, the colors. If you look, the the, the front of Keystone Clothiers, we'll say front facing the, the front, is teal with that kind of of burnt rust color as as accents whereas on the southwestern side it's the opposite way around it's that dark rusty kind of uh southwestern arizona color with yep. the teal as an accent yep that's a good point so maybe there so i guess what you're trying to say lou is they use the same colors and i just can't you know color <laughs> i can't put the two and two together the two of us together can actually get full sentences out i think <laughs> <laughs> i think so um so i mean that's the that's uh you know Another, another, um, what I, what I would call, you know, subtle reference. A lot of people don't pick up on 
going back to a more, uh, you know, there, there's two on two other buildings on Sunset Boulevard that really stick out. I think everyone really gets. The first one is the Hollywood Brown Derby restaurant. And what a lot of people don't get is it's not actually, there, there were two Hollywood Brown Derbies. One was actually shaped like a Brown Derby hat. And of course, that's that California crazy style, the one where you, you shape your building like um, what you're selling. And there was another one, another building, Hollywood Brown Derby building, a restaurant, both were restaurants. And that's the one, the one that isn't shaped like a hat is the one that the studios decided to uh, base theirs on. And of course, just they, they mentioned it when you order a Cobb salad. It's really interesting that the uh, the original Hollywood Brown Derby is where they came up with the Cobb salad. And um, they tell you the whole story about it. And it's named for uh, the Cobbs, who were the owners of the Derby. And they were, I guess, bored with their food. And, you know, they said, this food stinks. And, uh, you know, we want something new. And they, the chef was like, I don't know. What do you mean, make something? So he took everything he had, threw it in a pot, and made a salad. And what's interesting about it is you got the, you know, the, the different textures. You got the bacon, which is crunchy, and the eggs, which are soft, and the lettuce, which is in the middle, so I've heard, you know, I'm a Taco Bell kind of guy, but you know, <laughs> it happens, I get lettuce in the world, you know, other green stuff, uh, and I came up with that, and what's interesting is if you order the Cobb salad at the studios, the cast member, when they prepare it for you, will actually tell you the story about it, so it adds a little, you know, a nice little dimension to it, and what's great about the Hollywood Brown Derby, again, Lou, they have an, inter- they have an external uh, architecture, but internally, they've also brought in that that look of the the original restaurant and they have all these caricatures and um, if you have no idea what I'm talking about I bet you dollars to donuts you know what I'm talking about if you try to think of the movie the Muppets movie the Muppets take Manhattan when Kermit the Frog tries to sneak into the restaurant and pretends to be a uh, big Hollywood producer Muppets, yeah, Muppets, Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> and there's the they put the picture the character show on the wall it's, that's the same kind of idea but um, they have well, the, the characters in there. That's actually part of the reason why they chose this one. Because this, like you said, this was the second one. It wasn't the one that actually was shaped like like the, the bowler hat. But this was really the one that all the celebrities hung out in. And the other thing that was notable about this was the Brown Derby at the time was really the one that kind of started this this um, this practice of bringing phones over to the tables. You know, they'd call out, you know, Len Testa, Len Testa. He'd raise his hand and they would bring the phone over to the table for him. So, and and the very cool people, you know, like the Testas and the Scopas and the Newells, <laughs> they all sat um, in the north section under the characters. But instead of Disney just having one section like that, they've made the entire restaurant surrounded by them. And, and all the things you've seen there are, are very, very close to the original. Disney, uh, Disney modeled, you know, the furniture and the architecture and even the characters themselves uh, even the hardware, you know, the pulls on the drawers after the stuff they had seen on the original. Yeah, it's it's a great build. It's a great building to walk into, even if you're not even eating there, um, especially because of the price of the food. But um, <laughs> it, you know, it's fun and a great little tip is if you have to go use the restrooms at the studios and you're looking for a night a quieter restroom, the one in the Hollywood Brown Derby, especially during non-peak uh, eating hours, is absolutely deserted. Why so, would you need? Why would you need a quiet restroom? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to have to go into it on the show, but sometimes a man has his needs, you know? You bring in your trivia book in there, you just need some quiet. <laughs> you know, the thing, not to get off the topic, but one of the things I've talked about on the show in the past was, do you remember the old catwalk bar that you can get oh, yeah. to from, from the old Brown Derby? From what I understand, it's still there exactly the way they left it. They basically shut the doors and, and walked out. But, oh, yeah, um, the, uh, the, the elevator's still there. Yeah, it, it was a very, very cool place. Very, You want to talk about a quiet, out-of-the-way place. Um, that was a good one, and, and not yeah. w- not one that a lot of people knew about. 
it, it wasn't really it's been gone for so long that it's like you know oh you know of course the the current crowd you know you forget what happened yesterday um <laughs> you know in terms of things but i mean i don't blame them because it, it's it, it was really like it was one of those restaurants that was there for when the um they had the soundstage restaurant and above it you had the catwalk right. bar and uh those things were quickly replaced by of course uh playhouse disney right, but the, the catwalk the catwalk bar is uh is still there in the elevator which if you're going towards the restroom you'll see an elevator over there and that's where you could uh, there's stairs also but uh that's where it used to go All right and there were a couple other buildings just real quickly that we we kind of glossed over um I, right as soon as you walked into the studios on the right hand side you have oscar super super service station which again yep. kind of harks back to that that pop culture that car crazy uh culture from old la and every now and then they'll have different cars parked out front. They used to have a, an old Buick. They had a tow truck. I, I, for some reason, I remember a, a Ghostbusters car or, or some other car from a, a movie out there at some point, too. Uh, I guess they kind of rotate them through uh, yeah. all the time. And, yeah, uh, well, the, um, I mean, this one is more, you know, based on that, that kind of, again, to reference. <laughs> we, we have to reference other things, not the things they're actually based on. And I would say that if you're trying to, you know, picture it in your mind, it's like that, 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 that that pops the pop century the pop culture um you know reference like if you've seen in back to the future mm -hmm. uh when he goes back in the first film when he goes back and that kind of like you know um mr sandman playing in the background <laughs> kind of thing uh but that one you know clearly references the the golden age of uh you know of, of now of um automobiles where now it of course has baby strollers and lockers <laughs> <laughs> which makes so much sense it's like mini cars you know <laughs> yeah exactly um, one of the other stores on the right-hand side as you're walking towards um, the theater is a Celebrity 5 and 10. And I mention it also because, again, this carries through that same Art Deco that was modeled after the old J.J. Newbery store that was on the real Hollywood Boulevard. Um, and again, they, the, the colors aren't the same as the original building because they're borrowing from the building that's across the street, which is that same kind of um, rust and teal that you get over at, yep. at the Keystone Clothiers. Absolutely. And you know what's also interesting with all these buildings, not only what you see on the ground level, but it's important to look up a floor. There's so much, there's so many references in a lot of what goes on over there because they, they use the opportunity, much like in the Magic Kingdom, Lou, you know, you have the windows that pay homage to the Imagineers and what have you. Right. And in this case, you know, in the studios, you've got, they're not paying homage so much as they are, just, you know, they, they use it for the opportunity to take, uh, you know, psychics. I know you mentioned on a previous show when you had uh, Jeff Pepper on, you mentioned the um, the Roger Rabbit one, which of course has, uh, you know, the Roger Rabbit uh, cutout over there, and that's over on uh, Keystone Clothiers. But um, they have above the, um, uh, the above the there's there's the building, the Pluto Pluto's the Palace, old, right? The old Pluto's Palace, right? Right, right. And they've got, uh, you know, they they put on um, some references to a vet, to a vet, a uh, vet, animal vet. So um, I know these words again, English. I'm struggling so much with them. Um, but uh, you know, they they put all these. It's it, they call it. Um, you know, they have the the thera the the therapist, and it says Hugo Bark, and it's got a picture of a dog. And then you have Lenda Paw Pet Clinic. Um, so again, these are all just subtle, again, very subtle references. And it's, it's just fun to look up and, and look at a lot of these, uh, different things. And that's kind of what I was saying that when I, when I started talking about this, about the, the details at, that's brought into the studios. I think so many people overlook and, and the windows is one thing. And some of the architecture we're talking about and some of the interactive little gags, like the Indiana Jones, you know, rope that you can pull on and, and things yep. like that. So you're right. People you need to look up and around. You also need to touch and interact with your environment as well. 
Absolutely. You know, when people people ask me what is it about the studios that I enjoy, it's really that attention to detail that's missing, certainly in, in Epcot, I think, and it has it in the Magic Kingdom. But I think they just did such a good job, and they, the Imagineers, in designing that attention to detail. That you and really, there's there's no wasted space, you know. Right. Um, shall we? Uh, well, before we before we hang a right over to Sun- Sunset Boulevard. Um, I just wanted to mention, of course, the the most glaring, obvious uh, uh, Imagineering reference, of course, is the Great Movie Ride, which references uh, Grauman's uh, Chinese theater. And you know, there was, if you remember, Lou, for a while there was always the controversy: what's it actually, what's it, the, the Chinese theater is actually called? Mm. Because it used to be called from 1973 through 2001, the theater was known as Man's Chinese Theater. Uh, but then it was the building was actually bought and renamed and restored to the Grauman's Chinese Theater. Right. So, uh, but of course that one's what it's referencing. And the building, you know, I've looked at photos of it's still there today. And if you look at photos from even the 30s, I mean, it's pretty dead on, and not much has changed, um, minus the huge sorcerer's hat, which <laughs> I exactly when that was placed in front of the uh, the Chinese theater in in the in the 30s. But you know, I, I'm sure I'm, I I'll ask Scope about it. I'm sure he was there for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing that I that I love about this, and again, it, it's attention to detail. Instead of Disney just going and looking and drawing and then building their own, they actually use the blueprints from the original Twenty Seven Meyer and Hollow building for reference. And it's at, the building is built, you know, full scale. It's almost an exact duplicate uh, to the original building. Although, actually, if you look very closely, the ticket booth is on the wrong side of of the uh, of the <gasps> entrance. But <laughs> my God. Those animals, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know it's it's awesome, and and again the the hat you know is a separate debate for another another day, another show. Yeah, but I mean that's the only. I mean it, it before pre hat it had such an amazing view, and you can find some great pictures of it online of some of the pre hat photos of it, and you know the building is just so exquisite, and you know even the uh, the outdoor queue which is not used terribly anymore, but even that you know it, it wraps around and. It's it's very I, I like it a lot. I think it's it's a great it's it's very uh, it's it's just great. It takes my it takes my words away. Yeah. It's it, it's very it's a very immersive experience and and that's what we were saying. That's what the studios really offers you. Uh what yep. do you The one thing that I did notice just very quickly about the theater was the last time I was down there on quote one one of my quote unquote research trips, I spent some time looking in that outside, there haven't been any new handprint footprints in, the, in in quite some. I mean, a number of years actually. Yeah, no, there's some really old ones there. It's it. I mean, you've got. I mean, some of the the common ones you've got. You know, Kermit the Frog and, and things like that. But then you've got some really ancient ones in there, and they're mostly from the one from when the park opened around those first couple of years. And you know, they, they used part of it. You know, in the the old Star Today program. Mm-hmm. You know, when the when the celebrities would come. This is back when the studios, for those who don't know, when the studios first opened, Four there studios. wasn't a terrible. I know when the, there wasn't a whole lot to do. You know, I call it Animal Kingdom syndrome, and <laughs> uh, you know they had to come up with something to put to entertain guests. So they would, in order to get guests to keep coming back, they would uh, they brought in these celebrities that would show up for the day, and some of them they would put their their handprints on. But you're right, Lou. They haven't added a whole. They haven't added anything, and I can't even remember the last time they added one. No, I mean we we had looked for a while, and I think the last one we had seen was maybe two, three years earlier, if that close. I don't even remember what it was. Yeah, it's so. just you know, it's sad that they don't add. I mean, it could be a great little tool over there for uh, you know some you know great press for people to go. People will go there, you know, you know. Oh, let me go see you know so and so's handprints. 
Yeah, yeah. I know. And it would and it'll be a great another draw for the studios too if you know that the celebrities come in. I mean, look at, you know, things like Super Soap Weekends and Star Wars Weekends, the kind of crowds that, that those draw. Imagine if you were able to do that having other celebrities there, but I guess celebrity now you put in quotes because you're a celebrity one day and you're you know <laughs> you're doing You're doing a <laughs> podcast <laughs> the next day. <laughs> <laughs> Then doing some stupid <laughs> April Fool's joke to get, yeah. get attention for yourself. <laughs> All right, let's um, let's hang a right and let, let's head a little bit down Sunset Boulevard and just talk about a couple of the buildings there. All right, well, we've got the first one that comes to mind uh, is Legends of Hollywood, which used to be known as the Pooh Store, although now it's the Pooh slash Tinkerbell Store. Um, this one is based on the old Academy Theater in Inglewood, California, which was built in 1939. And again, it's another classic art modern uh, structure. And it was actually designed to house the original Academy Awards. Uh, but the Academy Theater actually never did host the, the Oscars uh, because the, often the location of the film premieres served as a major uh, suburban theater. So, or rather, the theaters used to serve as a major uh, <laughs> suburban theater because they just never really used it for that. And it's really that, that the spire that you see coming uh, from the right of it is really what you'll notice. And that's really what uh, the, the Imagineers uh, brought in to uh, when they when they designed the building, that element is still there, and in the old one, uh, it's spelled on on the actual theater. Uh, in the old one, it says it spells out Academy down the spire, whereas in MGM it spells Legends. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that one that was a fun little building. I I think it's from an architectural standpoint again, it's it's very engaging. I, I enjoy it. Yeah. The supposedly the owner of the building, this S. Charles Lee, who owned the original uh, Academy Theater. This this was kind of his. You know, Mark, he had all these very crazy, wild styles and things he used to put on the building so they become very noticeable. So it's nice to see them bring that element over to the studios as well. Yep. Uh, another building, right, almost right next to it, I think, is uh, the, the Planet Hollywood building. And at first you're like, Planet Hollywood? Yeah, they're inspired by the corporate sponsor <laughs> that, that gave them the money for it. <laughs> they're inspired by Stallone and Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, yo, I think this would be good over here. Um, that wasn't your, that wasn't your Schwarzenegger impression, was it? No, that was my uh, Stallone. <laughs> oh, okay. wow! <laughs> I thought that was your Betty Davis impression. Betty Davis. You got Betty Davis eyes. Um. Anyway, the Planet Hollywood uh, store is based on the Hollywood Theater. It's, that's what it was actually called, uh, which was over on Hollywood Boulevard. It was built in 1919 as a silent movie place. And unfortunately, the real day one, I think now it's a Guinness Book of World Records uh, uh, building. But it, um, the facade is in, uh, as they describe it, a white semi-glazed brick. It sounds like something you would eat. <laughs> and the, uh, the, the the remodeled facade was uh, designed by again your boy uh, S. Charles Lee, and actually also Clifford Bach uh, back in 1936. So again, the uh, the studios, uh, you know, they, they took that inspiration. You'll see this one's a little bit harder to see, I think, because um, it's also hard, very hard to find a photo <laughs> of the old one. Um, but the old theater and the, the, there's a sign again that goes vertically up in the air. The old one just said Hollywood, whereas the current one says Planet Hollywood. Right. Um, so that's a, another uh, interesting building. Uh, the Sunset Ranch Market, this is, uh, for if you're saying, huh? Uh, that's, of course, the set of uh, stores over um, that you have Rosie's um, All-American Cafe and Toluca Legs. There's a number of references over here. First of all, the Sunset Ranch Market, uh, as uh, is, is, is called in the series, it's called the Sunset Ranch Souvenirs and Gifts, but it's based on the, um, it's based on the Hollywood Farmer's Market, which was in Los Angeles, and in, back in 
the 30s, they had it was an opportunity really for farmers to uh, have an informal market where they could sell their produce to trucks. And quickly, tourists really started to discover the whole market idea, and they just you know they, they liked the ability that you could get you know good produce during the winter time. And the Imagineers again used that. They, they what they were trying to do was really get that that you know cart and booth kind of style to it. And they uh, you know they you have the green roofs with the brick uh, colored trim and little small shops and stalls that you know they, they just it looks like it's crammed in together and really that's by design again because they want to make it look like the the real you know, farmers know, market yeah farmers market um and there's you know it's it's um one of the the other things that you have in there in inside the actual farmers market is uh one of the names the the Toluca legs uh store and you say well what do, what do you you know <laughs> What do you mean, Toluca legs? Because that's you know, uh, it doesn't seem that's the place that sells the turkey legs over there. And what it actually has is it's a, it's a reference to uh, an area. It's actually a reference to um, the Toluca Lake area in Los Angeles. So again, there's Disney take spinning the the the, the name a little bit, and using that as an inspiration for the name. I'm sure it has nothing to do with turkeys. They just figured it's got a T. Alliteration. <laughs> Brilliant. You know, we'll, we'll use it. Um, so again, another another little fun one. And the other one that I thought I would mention, uh, this one I think I think if you took a whole of, of buildings people know on Sunset Boulevard, it's going to be the Carthay Circle Theater. Right. And that's uh, another exact replica. I mean, exact replica of the old Carthay Circle Theater, uh, which was over in uh, Beverly Hills. And it's... Of course, its big claim to fame is it's where Walt Disney premiered Snow White back in 1937, the first uh, full-length animated feature, and that, and you know put Disney on the map. Blah blah blah. You have Disney World, Magello, you know, <laughs> it all just you know, went down from there, and, you know. Um, uh, so it's uh, that's what that's what that building's uh, based off of, and um, it's uh, and now they sell Christmas and Christmas stuff and you know some other holiday stuff. Yeah. That you could it's, find. it's the once a time, once upon a time boutique now. Yeah, exactly. Um, they've got that in there. Although they do open the the store over by uh, Mama Melrose during the winter time, but this one's selling year round uh, Christmas stuff in there. And I never understood why they picked the Carthay Circle Theater to do that one. <laughs> Don't know, but they picked it. It works. It works. It works. Yep. Um, and um, you know, the other interesting thing about the Carthay Circle Theater, I just wanted to mention, is that in the Hollywood and Vine restaurant, there's a mural over there, and you actually can see the Carthay Circle Theater in there. They they put it in there for uh, that purpose. So if you're if you're really a, a trivia nerd and you really want to figure that kind of stuff out, you could find that over there. Cool. So that's that's what really stood out in my mind um, on Sunset Boulevard in terms of the stores over there. Yeah, and we forget too that that uh, Sunset Boulevard wasn't even there all the time. It didn't open until '94. Yeah, and again, this all goes back to that. You know, oh no, people actually want to come here. What are we gonna do? <laughs> You know, because I don't know what they were planning. Like two people were going to show up there. Like you know, they're 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 you know, it's it's like a scope of family reunion, and that'd be about it. And uh, you know, like, I, I don't understand like you know the, their thinking. But in any case, they decided they really needed to, um, you know, they, they needed to expand. And what they ended up doing was they ended up knocking down the old uh, the old theater, the Stars Theater, uh, and they took that away and they opened up that street over there. And they put the Theater of the Stars back on Sunset Boulevard, so they recreated it down the street. And you know, this whole street was again rushed together, if you will, because again, they had to, they had to find a place for all these people. And as a result, they were still able to, uh, you know, to to come up with I think I think a pretty good 
theming. I, I think the, the theming on Hollywood Boulevard is a little. Uh, I like it a little bit more, perhaps. But uh, I, I think that the one on Sunset is still really good. Right. Well, you, you mentioned the old theater stars, which obviously was modeled after Hollywood Bowl. I think Sunset Boulevard, for so many people, is less about the experience like it is walking on Hollywood Boulevard because they're really just rushing to get down to, to Tower of Terror and Rock and Roller Coaster. It's nothing more than a thoroughfare with, with some buildings on the side. So I think maybe that's why some of the things are overlooked. And there's a bunch more stores on there, too. You have the uh, the Villains in Vogue shop. You have the uh, Sunset Club Couture shop. And again, all have uh, that the same kind of Art Deco styles really more so kind of getting to a 40s look on Sunset as opposed to what you have on Hollywood. But you're right. I mean, when the studios opened, you know, there were plans. They had plenty of plans. They had, you know, there was going to be the, the Muppet, you know, park. There was going to be all kinds of things they had planned that obviously never came to be for one reason or another. So it's, you know, it's, it's interesting that they did it. And, um, you know, I mean, we could spend a whole show talking about the Tower of Terror, which has so much Hollywood um, uh, architecture. But, you know, Lou, your shows, you know, are such a short two hours. <laughs> I can't, I don't, I don't know how you could possibly. Don't you know that, that there's a reason I do it? If I can <laughs> keep people here for two, you know, an hour and a half to two hours a week, they have less time to listen to that other WDW something <laughs> or other show. So. Yeah, right. Uh, I, now you're, I see, I see your, your, uh, your genius now. And, uh. and now 45 minutes of ambient audio from Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, right. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> And they'll eat it up. Your your your, your listeners have more more Lou more. <laughs> I pay them well. I pay them well. So. Right. But uh, all right, good. This was a lot of fun, and uh, like I said, hopefully we were able to introduce people to some of the things that they may have overlooked next time they go down uh, when they're not chasing after you and Lentesta to get to your your mouse fest meets. They'll be able to stop, look around, look up. You know, look at the sign. We didn't even talk about things like the billboards and the signs and the references that you can find in there. Both the things like Roger Rabbit and the old Hollywood Land uh, development project and things like that. But uh, there's a lot there to see. And of course, head on over to um, mgmstudios.org for more, as well as Matt's one of Matt's other 500 sites. He's got towerofterror.org. He's got WDW Today. I don't know what else you got in the hopper over there. I think that might be. Is that all Rock of them? Roller- Rock <laughs> I will um, I will put links up to all those on the WDW Radio website. Matt, buddy, thanks very much for coming on. Uh, even though you think I'm overrated, that's okay. This is still <laughs> fun. <laughs> you are a tad overrated. Come on, admit it, Lou. You can say it. Oh, I'm way overrated. I, I'm absolutely <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so are you. Um, <laughs> all right, buddy, listen. Thank you very much. Um, I, I will see you at Magic Meets, if not sooner. Thank you, Lou. All right, buddy. Thank you all again for your emails and voicemails this week. You're really helping to keep the show fun and interactive. Let's go ahead and let's try and see how many we can get through. And our first email this week comes from Sean Nava, who says, I'm busy listening to an old podcast of WDW Today in which you are featured on. It's the trivia episode and it's really a riot. They're nagging you again with the Olu nonsense. But I have a strange question for you, seeing how I can't find much info on this and you may know firsthand. Seeing how my family and I are going down September 15th to the 23rd, and we have a one-year-old, do you see the weather as being too hot for him? Is it ever in the upper 100s or upper 90s, or is it starting to cool a bit then? I can find data on this, but nothing really sufficient. Any help you can give me would be great. 
Sean, I've actually, uh, I've taken my kids in the summer and at the end of the summer in September, much like you, when they're as young as nine months old. And you can do it. It's very easy to be done, but there are some things you have to keep into consideration. The most important, obviously, is to keep them in the shade. Take frequent breaks. You can't go maybe as you were able to go before having a, a young child, especially when the weather does get very warm, because there are some days where it still does get up, uh, you know, probably in the upper 80s, maybe even getting close to 90. Obviously, keep them hydrated as well. You can go to the vacation planning section of DisneyWorldTrivia.com. I'll put a link up on the WDW Radio website where you can see um, some weather patterns. You can see some average daily high temperatures, things like that. Uh, one thing else that I did too is I always brought a few or bought um, a few water spray bottles and little fans for the strollers. That helps out a lot when the weather does um, get warm. So just take the precautions. You can still have a great time. Our next email says, I listen to a number of Disney podcasts, but WDW Radio is the first one I go to each week. I enjoy the way that you spend time and go into detail about your topics instead of just glossing over them. I also love the segments you do with Jeff Pepper. The Roger Rabbit piece was excellent, but the piece on Horizons was even better. I, too, am a huge Horizons fan and wish it were still in Epcot. Your piece brought me right back, and I also learned things I never knew about it. I'm also happy you did it because I emailed you about doing a piece on it some time ago. I'm not saying that's why you did it, but I'm glad you did. Your segments with Jeff Pepper also prompted me to go to his blog, which is excellent as well. I agree. So thank you for that. The other topic, which I included in my previous email, would be to do a short segment on the Odyssey restaurant. I think there are many people out there who walk by the building every trip to Epcot and have no idea what it was used for since the Odyssey has been closed for years. It would also fit in well with your Epcot anniversary theme, My wife and I recently took the Behind the Magic tour, which I highly recommend, and a guide said Disney has two types of show, good show and bad show. WDW Radio is definitely good show. Thank you very much. I actually received a couple of other emails about the Odyssey restaurant. One comes from Darren Whitco, who says, Love the new show. My wife and I carpool on Mondays now just to listen to your show in the car. Wow, I really appreciate that. While planning our annual summer trips to Walt Disney World, I began thinking about trying different restaurants on property. While trying to think outside the box and visualize places that looked interesting to me, I remember the Odyssey restaurant in Epcot. Now, I know this building has been closed, but this led me to ask you this. Has Odyssey ever been opened? If so, what was it? I heard rumors that there was something wrong with the building that prevented it from being a restaurant. I also heard that it was just too far out of the way and it closed due to lack of interest. What's the real story regarding Odyssey? Just a side note, I actually like walking through the Odyssey area. It has that Epcot 1982 feel to it, something like the area that time forgot. Thanks, Darren. Thank you both for your questions about the Odyssey. That is one of uh, Epcot's lost treasures, I guess, if you want to look at it that way. Epcot, uh, I'm sorry, Odyssey is the the multi-sided building, and it's actually multi-level building, too, in between Future World and World Showcase. If you look in between Test Track and Mexico, you'll see that building with the very earth tone colors, often uh, decorated very, very well with a lot of floral decorations. It was a counter-service restaurant that served... um, Fast food items, typical fare, hot dogs, hamburgers, chicken strips. That closed back in 1996. It opened with Epcot in 1982, closed in 1996, and possibly due to the fact that people not knowing what the building was, it was somewhat isolated because it is kind of off that main walkway to World Showcase from Future World and really probably didn't generate as much traffic as it should have. The building is still being used, and it's often used for private dinners, much as the ones held during the International Food and Wine Festival. It's also held for special events. Uh, it's also held for corporate events. Um, I have seen some uh, companies rent the space out, use it for corporate training, team building events, things like that. 
If you look, the uh, the baby care center is attached to it. The restrooms are right there as well, kind of on the World Showcase right-hand side. And behind the Odyssey restaurant backstage is actually a cast member cafeteria. They shared uh, the same kitchen and some other areas back there. So there is a cast member cafeteria that is still there. Whether the restaurant ever opens again, I have no idea. There have been talk about trying to get it reopened. Obviously, it is still functional. It is being used. Um suggestions have run the gamut from another restaurant theme to something in world showcase to almost kind of a world showcase uh combined restaurant you know some of the different flavors from world showcase you might be able to sample in one location the building as you can see is very large i'll put a picture of it in the show notes for you but darren also asked another question that was what's the deal with the tomorrowland terrace noodle station whenever i walk through there usually at night no one is ever there and it looks closed is it even open anymore Going by how big the area is, I assume it was something else before it was the noodle station. Darren, you're right. Uh, Back in March, actually March 15th of 2005, it opened as the Tomorrowland Terrace Noodle Station, which was a quick service restaurant that served uh, what they called Asian fusion cuisine. Uh, It was fast food. It had noodle bowls and stir fry, egg rolls, pot stickers, etc. You're right, though. That was a restaurant beforehand. It was originally known as the Plaza Pavilion. That opened back in 1973 as a counter service restaurant that had hamburgers and pizza. That closed back in 2004 to make that transition over to the Noodle Station. Now, the name Tomorrowland Terrace Noodle Station actually pays homage to the old Tomorrowland Terrace restaurant. That was not in this location. That closed in 1994, but is located where Cosmic Ray's Starlight Cafe now is. The current menu uh, is typical to, to what it was when it first opened, but it did change or unfortunately in my eyes. They have chicken noodle bowls, vegetable noodle bowls, fried chicken strips, not very Asian fusion, but teriyaki chicken, beef and broccoli, Caesar salad, and egg rolls. Unfortunately, the restaurant is not open all the time. It kind of works on very odd operating hours. I know last time I was down there earlier this year, it was closed. I don't know if that means that the restaurant's not doing well, there's not a need for it, or maybe just the cuisine is not what people are looking for. So uh, it's kind of you know a big question mark right now if it's going to stay the same, what its operating hours are going to be, or if it's just going to remain one of those seasonal restaurants. Our next email reads, I was able to verify that the parrot that used to sit outside the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction has been moved to the pirate room in the World of Disney store in downtown Disney. There's also a pretty awesome display of incarcerated pirates on either side of a doorway leading out of the store. Listeners might also be interested in knowing that two new big figs have just been released. I saw them in the shop in downtown Disney today. It's Pirate Mickey and Pirate Minnie. They are separate figures and are really super. You may have already learned about them, but I've been cut off from the podcast while vacationing. I was really surprised at the number of little princesses strolling with parents in downtown Disney. The boutique in the world of Disney must be doing a booming business. Say hello to all my friends at DisneyWorldTrivia.com and especially to British posters. I really enjoy the radio show each and every week. Thanks for doing such a terrific job. That's from Minnie V, a.k.a. Virginia. Virginia also sent over a couple of photos of Peg-Legged Pete as well as the Pirate's that I will post in the show notes, as well as a picture of her over at the spot on Main Street USA that I'll post there as well. Craig the Rocketeer writes in and says, Thanks for your reflections of Horizons. Definitely one of my top all-time favorites. I love that feeling, like when riding the Haunted Mansion the first few times in 72 and 73. Even a little frightened, but otherwise amazed. And Horizons, the first time or two. Exciting, fun, and not quite sure what's around the next bend. People remember where they were when they hear devastating or life-altering news. Well, I remember when I heard about Horizons. I still haven't gotten over it. 
I love Jeff Pepper's New Horizons question. Is there any formal Walt Disney Imagineering suggestion box? I think his is a great concept that could really be developed, bringing that much needed future port back to life. And if I have what I feel is a clever idea or two, who can I tell and will they listen? Two thumbs up and that's from Craig. Craig, thank you for the email. Glad you enjoyed the Horizons segment as well as what Jeff did with New Horizons. As for the suggestion box, Disney does not take unsolicited suggestions or ideas, likely for fear that someone will possibly try and sue Disney, as they've done in the past, if they say thanks but no thanks or eventually use part of that idea. You can send ideas over to Imagineering, but they do say they do not read them, they do not open them, they throw them out directly. So that really probably is not the best way to do it. I think Disney is very, very cautious about not taking any sort of ideas or reading things that come from outside the company. Next email reads, Good morning, Lou. You know the best way to identify what's left on a park ticket? Meaning, if I can't remember what's left on my ticket, whether park admission or extras, how can I find out what's left? The show is great and definitely a staple in my weekly listening pleasure. Keep up the good work, and that comes from Mike. Mike, unfortunately, the only way to check what is remaining on a ticket is to bring it by a ticket booth or guest relations and having Disney actually scan the ticket. Um, They can't even do that anymore at the Disney stores. I think way back when, when it was owned by Disney, they may have been able to tell you. But uh, if you do have credit left on an old park or hopper pass or some other kind of pass, they will usually allow you to use that as credit towards an upgraded ticket, annual pass, etc. But remember that it does have no cash value. Teresa Doherty writes in and says, You mentioned that little girls would love to visit the Bibbidi-Bobbidi Boutique. I agree, but why be so exclusive? What about us slightly older adults? 40-somethings without children. What do you think about a boutique for the adult princess who would like a glamorous dress for a night out on the town, maybe a night at Victoria Albert's? Any idea where the big girls go to get a princess dress and have our hair done suitable for a tiara on Disney World property? I know I'm not the only one. Just ask. Teresa, thanks for that question. That, that's very interesting. I guess if people wanted to go and really pamper themselves, the obviously the places to go would be a spa, something like that. I don't think there's anything specific uh, to really become kind of a grown-up princess. But, you know, I was thinking about it, and I looked at the Bibbidi-Bobbidi Boutique website, and it does only say it's for girls ages 3 and up. So it makes me wonder, where would Disney, if they if they would, where would they draw the line? Uh, you know, what age do they say, well, you know what, you're really too old for the Bibbidi-Bobbidi Boutique. I say, go for it. Try it out. See if they will let you go over to the boutique. See if they will let you become a princess. And of course, send me a photo. Our next email reads, hi, Lou, what should I do? I'm a big Disney World fan, and I love going as many times as I can. I live in England. However, the girlfriend is not so impressed as I am. But she does like a place, SeaWorld. I've never heard of that one. Neither have I. If she never went again in her whole life, I don't think she'd be bothered. She's been twice now and has just done the basic stuff. What can I do to change her mind? Shall I just jump dump her or what? Please help. You're my only hope. Thanks. That's from Simon Pearson. That's Simon HP on the forum. P.S. We have got three boys, 9, 9, 11, and they do fight a lot with each other. Well, Simon, thank you for the email. And uh, it sounds like you're asking help from from Obi-Wan Kenobi when when you said that uh, I'm your only hope. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. But don't dump her, at least not yet anyway. Um, A couple things about your email, and your your PS is really what struck me, because if you say that your boys fight a lot, especially maybe while you're there, that may be part of the reason why she doesn't enjoy it as much. So my question is, is babysitting an option or a trip with friends or family members who can give you some alone time in the parks an option? 
Because I think what you need to do, you need to allow her to embrace her inner child and maybe even her inner princess again and let her go there and be silly um, and have fun. You know, hug a character. Um, Find out what it is that she likes about that other place, SeaWorld over there. Is it the rides? Uh, What does she like? What does she not like? You know, what kind of attractions does she like? Take her to fun restaurants. Take her someplace like Primetime Cafe. Take her to a nice restaurant like the California Grill Take her for a board, you know, walk on the boardwalk one night. Show her the magic of Disney fireworks. Maybe pamper her at a nice spa or a nice resort. Don't try and go out commando style and see everything and do everything and drag her through because that might detract from her enjoyment. But take some time enjoying the attractions, enjoying the shows, enjoying all the different things that Disney has to offer. Uh, find out what movies she likes. Maybe bring her to a character meal about for if she has a favorite Disney movie. And of course, tell every cast member that, that you run into that this maybe is her first time going or that you're really trying to show her the magic uh, of Walt Disney World. And, you know, if all, all else fails, I have three words for you. Jewelry. No, I'm kidding. Dumper. No, I'm really kidding. But um, you, you can do it. And sometimes it just takes that, that little bit of an extra effort to really show people what it is about Walt Disney World that's so magical. And look, not everybody, as I say, gets it. And she might not be one to get it. But hopefully when you go, she can enjoy going there with you as well. Our last email says, Hi, Lou, I had a question for you. Me and my family are going to Walt Disney World in the first or second week in December. Hope to see you there for Mousefest. I was just wondering if you knew when Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party tickets go on sale. That's from Craig, a.k.a. Bucknut20 on the forums. Craig, you know, as I say, timing is everything because tickets just went on sale on May 1st. I'll give you a little bit of information about the tickets and the dates just so you know. For adults 10 and over, tickets are $51.07. Children ages 3 to 9 are $43.62. If you buy them in advance for select nights, they go down to about $43 and $36 respectively. Now, in order to take advantage of the advanced purchase savings, you have to buy your tickets at least one day prior to the event. But you should note that the advanced ticket savings are available for all nights except for November 16th, 30th, as well as December 6th, 7th, 13th, 14th, 16th, 20th, and 21st. There's also DVC and pass holder advanced savings prices for select nights. They go down to $40.42 and $32. I will put a link up in the show notes page to the Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party page over at DisneyWorld.com. It'll give you some idea of all the dates as well as what to expect, uh, the times that they go on, and the ability to purchase tickets right from the website. If you are going to be there during the first or second week, I know the Mouse Fest Mickey's Very Merry Party Christmas night is probably Thursday, December 7th. So if you're going to be around, definitely come on over and say hi. I'm sorry that I could not get to all of your emails and voicemails again this week. I do have a lot to get through, so I'm going to continue to go through as many as possible each week on the show. But please, keep them coming. Send emails to lou at wdwradio.com or call the voicemail anytime at 206-202-4WDW. That's all we have time for this week. I want to thank my special guests, Pam Forster from The Magic for Less Travel for her discussion of concierge level at Walt Disney World. I'll post some photos from Pam of the Wilderness Lodge concierge rooms and lounge on the WDW Radio website. Click on the link for The Magic for Less Travel on our website for more information and a free no-obligation quote. 
I am sincere when I say that they do offer a level of service that is on par with what you come to expect from Disney and when planning your Disney vacation. Their services are completely free and offer so many advantages over booking yourself. Contact them with any questions. It's free. And again, I'll put the link up in the show notes. I also want to thank Matt Hotchberg from MGMstudios.org and The Len Testa Show, also known as WDW Today Podcast. I'm going to put links to his other sites also in this week's show notes as well. Of course, I want to thank you, the listener, for your time and everybody else who's written in, called in, posted on the forums in support of the show. I really, really do appreciate it. So many of your emails, uh, most of which I answer via email. Uh, and not on the show, have been really so, so, so kind and so supportive. I, I appreciate you all taking the time to let me know that you're having as much fun as I am each and every week. And for our new listeners, I want you to please remember that you can go back, check out some of our earlier shows, since most of the content, except maybe for some of the news, is not time-specific and, and is still relevant. It's fun. It's informative. There, there's tons of trivia in a variety of different segments. I've welcomed in a number of special guests, including Disney legends, people who grew up around Walt Disney. We've covered vacation planning, lost attractions, played rare audio tracks, and more. So please go visit the WDW Radio website at wdwradio.com for links to all the old episodes or download them directly from iTunes. I also want to ask you to head on over to the WDW Radio website and check out our new logo, which I'm unveiling this week. I want to also say thanks to Tim Foster from GuideToTheMagic.com for his great work on that, and look for new WDW Radio merchandise coming soon. Don't forget, you can still come and cruise aboard the Disney Magic with me and Margaret Tinkerbell Kerry from November 3rd through the 10th, 2007. There are lots of special events planned, as well as a few very special surprises on board. We're also going to be doing some live podcasting from on board, and you have a chance to win a $500 Disney gift card at the beginning of your trip for anybody that books by June 1st. Staterooms start as low as $1,043 per person, double occupancy. You can visit the website for more information and a no-obligation quote. I have a lot more fun stuff planned for upcoming shows, including more interviews and special guests, lots of trivia segments, news, and of course, vacation planning. I'm also going to reveal the next Seven Wonder of Walt Disney World, but there's still time for you to weigh in. Let me know what you think belongs on the list. Send me an email, voicemail, or post in the Seven Wonders forum. I'll put the links up in the show notes over to DisneyWorldTrivia.com. Of course, I have more contests coming up, more best of the best more segments with Jeff Pepper, Voices Behind the Magic, and so much more. And again, if you have an idea for the show, let me know. Send me an email, call the voicemail, and we will try and do it. If you want to submit your own segment, by all means, let me know what you think. Be sure to visit some other friends of the show, including other podcasts, blogs, and website. I'm going to put all those links up in this week's show notes page. Be sure to check out the All About the Mouse podcast for this week. I appeared on last Friday's show with Jonathan Dichter and Mike Scopa and the host, Brian. We talked all about the Walt Disney World Marathon, so be sure and check that out. Again, that's the All About the Mouse podcast. I'm going to be down in Walt Disney World from May 17th through the 20th doing research for an upcoming project. So if you're there, want to say hi, send me an email, let me know. I always enjoy meeting up with listeners and readers while at the parks. And like I say every week, don't forget this show is meant to be interactive, so I want to hear from you. Email me your questions, comments, or ideas to lou at wdwradio.com. Call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW with anything from trip reports, hellos from the parks, feedback, and more. Make sure you stay tuned to the end of the show this week as I play some of your voicemails. Of course, please come by the forums at disneyworldtrivia.com to talk with other listeners and readers about the show. 
It's fun. It's free. We'd love to have you come by and be a member of what we consider to be the happiest forums on earth. Again, I want to thank you all for tuning in, taking your time, as well as your reviews on iTunes and for digging the shows. I really, really do appreciate it. You can find links to all those things in the show notes. Of course, please help spread the word to your friends and family on other communities elsewhere. Have a great week. See ya. Hi, Lou, um, and all the listeners. This is Minnie V talking to you from Kissimmee, Florida. And I can confirm that the uh, carrot that used to be outside the Pirates of the Caribbean is in the downtown Disney store in the world of Disney in the pirate room. And he's alive and well. Uh, Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Bye-bye. Hey, Lou, this is John from the Mouth Times Podcast. I just wanted to chime in on your little... uh, Walt Disney audio animatronics uh, topic that you were talking about. Um, as far as I know, uh, as I and I've talked to several people about this, Walt Disney did not want an audio animatronic of himself. He he didn't want to preside over you know over the parks, and it, that's why also his family has also uh, denied. Uh, denied making of a Walt Disney audio animatronic. It's just out of respect and that he wouldn't want an audio animatronic of himself in the park. So I just wanted to let you, you know, little, uh, uh, you know, inside of the reason why. So just want to let you know, Lou, you do a great job and I listen every week, every single week. Talk to you later, Lou. Bye-bye.